Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. Welcome, my friend. I am so glad you're here today. I have a guest that I've been really excited to bring on the show. Her name is Corey White. Corey is a licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania and founder of Our Whole Living Counseling, a group practice that specializes in couples counseling. As an expert in couples, she has worked with large agencies and group practices to train their clinicians to do effective work with couples. She is the host of the new podcast, From Intern to Entrepreneur, where she encourages counseling graduate students interested in private practice to start planning their private practice journey while they are still in grad school. Corey and I have a lot of shared passions. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. I've listened to your podcast. And so to be a guest on it feels super cool. Oh, thank you so much for saying mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And, and I can't wait for you to share more about your podcast too. The great thing is I'm a couples therapist. I love doing couples work. I see that tremendous need of educating others to do this work because training is hard to find. And I love hosting master's level student interns and working with new clinicians. And these are two of your passions and places of expertise. So we are going to have a great conversation today. Yeah, so excited. I always start with asking this question, what does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? I think that is such a cool question. For me, being a heart-centered therapist is being able to create a lifestyle around my career where I can be present with my family, with my friends, and with my clients, and with my supervisees. So really being able to create a life that includes me being a therapist and working in a clinical capacity that allows me to feel fulfilled and you know, not burn out, not stressing out about money, not worried about whether or not I can pay the rent for my practice or whether or not my mortgage is going to get paid. So having my life set up so that it is financially stable so I can show up in all of these areas of my life. Such a great answer. And that's so powerful because if we're not expanding and fulfilling all of those aspects of ourselves, we're not protecting our hearts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I know that in graduate schools, professors are saying that that is important, but I don't know that they always know how to talk about how you actually make that happen or how you actually take care of yourself. Because so much of our field is centered around doing work to help people and therapists don't make money and working in agencies that don't pay you anything and seeing a million clients a week that they're just incongruent. They're incongruent thoughts. And so I really try to help people bridge that gap of, well, how do you actually make some of this stuff happen where you can be heart-centered, where you can be taking care of yourself? That's that's great. And I'm so excited about just diving right into that because this is this is what you you do. You really are challenging how graduate students can see their potential, see their futures and really form and develop their careers. And so, I mean, I I really like the way you said um you help new therapists find practical ways to start fabulous practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of came from I don't, while I encourage people to go into private practice, and I do think it is one of the best ways that you can support yourself as a therapist right now, not the only way, but a really good option. I also recognize that 
there are a lot of messages out there that, oh, you'll just start your practice and you'll immediately be full and you'll make a lot of money and this will be great. And my experience was I had to be scrappy and I had to be practical and I didn't just quit a job one day and the next day start a practice and I, I wasn't just making six figures right out the gate. So I think it's really important in the way that I do work with people, especially since I focus on people that are earlier in their journeys as therapists and counselors and social workers to be clear that you have to do it in a practical way in order to build a a business mindset that is going to be fulfilling and also allow you to grow and scale in a way that you're not going to, you know, get underwater quickly. So practical to me means just finding different ways that you can make things work with what you have and not put yourself in a worse position than you are currently in. Does that make sense? It does. It makes so much sense. And I love how you say you have to get scrappy and you have to be practical. And this is, this is messy, right? Like the entrepreneurial journey. And I think so many therapists don't even realize that if they start a private practice, they are entrepreneurs, right? They are small business owners Mm -hmm. and the potential for expansion continues. And so it is messy and it, it requires that intentionality and that ability to be flexible, the -hmm. ability to network and reach out and, you know, like ask for help too. (laughs) Absolutely. I asking for help, having people around you that know what they're doing, that that can help you with the things that you don't know how to. I mean, you have to be a marketer. You have to be a business or I'm sorry, a bookkeeper. You have to be a networker. You have to be a, a practice manager. There's all these roles that they don't teach you in grad school because that's not the point of grad school. Uh, it's to teach you to be a good clinician. But if you want to also be an entrepreneur, a small business owner, there's so many skills that you likely will not have access to all of them. And so, yeah, you need to have people around you that you can ask questions to of, okay, you know, first of all, what is marketing? You know, if you don't know, um, and also being aware though, of what your skills are and what you do know, you know, I, have always been good at connecting with other people. And so I feel in a lot of ways, I'm a natural networker. So I recognize that that was one of my strengths. And that was one of the ways in which I could get guidance from others, but that was inherently built into me. And so really learning how to capitalize off of that as a strength. Uh, I actually have a business partner and and she had a previous business. And so she knew how to do bookkeeping. And so she came into this, which was a perfect fit for me because I don't know anything about that. Right. And she came in and was going, that was one of the ways in which she had something already built into her journey. So she didn't need to ask a lot of questions about that. She had to figure out the other gaps and holes that she needed to fill in. So, yeah. 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 I really want us to hear more about your story because it's so powerful. And, you know, just to kind of frame the episode, people can already get a feel of what we're going to be talking about, right? Like being a clinician, developing that strength, and then looking at business systems and money and challenging the messages or lack of messages that one gets in graduate school in terms of your career potential And also taking care of yourself, like Corey so brilliantly talked about at the beginning, right? Because it's, it's very, it's a big, it's a big thing to do to take care of your whole self in order to protect your heart and serve others. Mm -hmm. So two things like you are hinting at messages you got in, in training you got in grad school And then I know, because it says on your beautiful website, which we'll share, that you actually started your private practice as a pre-licensed clinician. So let's talk about those things. Yeah, let me tell you the story. So when I, I came in to be a therapist in my, I think I started my graduate program in my very late 20s. And when I graduated, then I was um, in my early 30s. So this was, I was a bartender before that. So this was kind of a second career. And I knew that I made a lot of money as a bartender. I was a really good bartender. I was a hustler as a bartender. I knew going in to be a counselor that I was not going to want to work for somebody else, that I was probably going to be a hustler. And so I wanted to be into private practice. So I started listening during my graduate school to private practice podcasts. And I started learning things about that. 
Um, I didn't think it, at that time, I didn't know in, in the state of Pennsylvania that I could be pre-licensed and have a practice, but I was trying to plan my journey at that point. At the same time, I was in a graduate program where nobody was talking about being in private practice. Nobody was talking about that as a career path. It's not like it was, you, you couldn't do it. It just wasn't a part of what the professors were talking about as a, as a soon career path. And so I didn't think it was a soon career path for me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was allowed to ask anything about it. Yeah, exactly. And I met with um, a student intern just last week, right? So this is still happening. And she said, oh, I thought you had to work for an agency no matter what. Here in Maine, you can be a pre-licensed clinician um, if you're an LCPC and start a private practice or join a group practice. She didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think, and, and I think because it's really frowned upon by certain people, like I definitely have gotten a lot of, um, eye rolling or side eye or, uh, from clinicians who have maybe been in the field for a while, who don't think that you should do that. I have a whole, you know, I can get into some reasons in which why I think that it, it, it is appropriate, but because, because other clinicians are talking about it, most people don't know, and you can't do it in every state. So it's not like a, it's not a broad thing across the United States. You can do that. It just happened to be in the state of Pen- Pennsylvania that you could. And I didn't know that actually until about a year after I graduated from my master's program. Yeah. So I ended up taking a job with, with my internship site that taught me that internship site taught me a lot. But when they told me, um, when they offered me the job and they told me what the pay was, I mean, my heart sank. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I am never going to be able to make a living as a therapist. I went home and I told my husband, I was like, just so you're clear, I'm going to be a bartender forever. Uh, because this is what people are paying. Right. And he was like, okay, calm down. Like, and, and so, so I ended up taking the job. I had to work two jobs. So I still worked in a restaurant at that point. So I was basically working like part ish to full ish time. I was working like 18 hours a week at my therapy job. And then I was working like 25 hours a week at my restaurant job. And so I was super getting to burnt out of just like, I don't have time for myself. And then somewhere along the way, I was reading something or listening something. I can't remember where it sparked, but I was like, wait a minute in the state of Pennsylvania, I'm allowed to have a private practice before I'm licensed. And so that sort of sparked for me. I need to leave here then and do that. And I knew it was super important for me to do it the right way. So I didn't go into it like, oh yeah, I can just do this. I don't have to worry about anything. I was very aware that I wanted to do it in a smart way, in an ethical way, in a way in which I was still able to be supervised at the level at which I needed to be supervised at that point. And so I went and I did a lot of research on local supervisors, LPC supervisors, and who was doing it and who was good at it. And I put out a bunch of um, emails that was really clearly stating, listen, I am a pre-licensed professional in this state and I want to start a private practice and I'm looking for a supervisor who will supervise me uh, and, and be okay with that. And so I did find an awesome supervisor who was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. And it was amazing. And I got the best supervision, mostly, mostly clinical, but then also I was able to incorporate some of the struggles I was having. So there was, it was not business advice. I found all of that information on my own, but it was somebody who was willing to take a little bit of a risk and say, all right, let's see what, what happens here. Let's see, let's see what transference is like when you're the owner of the business and, and the client is, 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 you know, knows that and what that's like for you. So I started the practice um, and I was making six figures before I was even licensed. Oh my gosh, Corey. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Wow. The, pa- the pandemic played a big role in that, I will say, because as soon as the pandemic hit, it was like a, an influx of therapy clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did take me longer to get licensed than most people. I think that it took me almost four years to get licensed because when I stopped my job and went to my Uh, started my private practice. I didn't start the private practice with a full practice. I started it with like two clients. So that did extend how long it took me to get my hours. But for me, that was fine. And it was worth it. And it didn't matter uh, for me to be able to own my own practice and do things the way I wanted and get paid what I felt like I deserved. Mm -hmm. Yes. Those points are so important. And especially, I think a lot of therapists think, oh, you know, I have to get my full license in two years. 
that's typically what the boards require. And especially in private practice, you know, if you're in an agency and your like butt is in the chair for eight hours a day, you're going to get those hours and it's, it can be pretty straightforward, but with a private practice, you may not be seeing quite the same number of clients right at the beginning. And you may want to pad in a little bit more time for yourself or whatever. And, you know, I don't know why there's such a rush. Um, a lot of people do do rush to that, but you know there. I guess there are reasons. I mean, maybe if you want to get credentialed with an insurance um, company or something. But most most clients don't really know <laughs> the difference. I ha- yeah, that's really funny that you say that. So I always disclose, right? You have to disclose that you're pre licensed. So verbally, I would say it. It was in my paperwork that I was, so people signed things and I still had a couple people that, so when I got licensed, I raised my rate, right? So I have conversations with my clients face-to-face every time that I raise my rate. And so at this time I had had a conversation. I said, listen, I'm licensed now. And so I'm raising my rate to, I think it was 130 is what I raised it to at that point. And I had some clients that go, I had no idea you weren't licensed. And I'm, and you know, it's like they've, they, yes, they, I said it to them, they signed the paperwork, but it didn't matter to them. So they didn't care. And for the listener, like that is so important. Your clients just want you to be able to help them. They don't really care about the letters after your name. (laughs) Don't care about your stats. Most of them don't. And and partly because they don't understand it. And and also, I mean, it's hard for me to understand sometimes when I go, okay, you need this, 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 this. Like there's so many questions that I get from my community of graduate students and pre-licensed professionals around the licensure process. It's like, if it's that hard for, for us to understand as professionals, my client has no idea what licensure means. And so, so that also helps, I think with imposter syndrome, I I work with a lot of, you know, uh, younger clinicians who are like, oh my God, it's like, they know that it's like, they think that they're, that there's a sign on their head that says like, I'm not that experienced or I'm not licensed. Like you're, as if you're doing good therapy work, your client doesn't know or care. Yes. Yes. Rewind that part. It's so great, Corey. If you're doing good client work, you know, your client is happy and we have enough to deal with our own, you know, beating ourselves up and imposter syndrome and self-confidence. So just like, let that go. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I also want to add that, or when we were earlier in our career, we're surrounded by some of the smartest people in our field. So we still have access to our professors. You know, if I graduated last year, it's like my professors still know me. I can reach out to them if I need something. You have to have a supervisor if you're pre-licensed uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Anyway, I assume that's, that's true for all states, right? So you have access to someone who has been in the field. So when we're, yes, we might not have the direct experience for certain problems or issues or whatever, but we have access to the people who know the answers to the questions. And, and, and so that is so valuable. And I think we forget that sometimes. Right. Right. And just like you, you shared finding an amazing supervisor that was willing to work with you as you launched your private practice. And it sounds like they really helped you launch too into that, that new world. And it's really important to know what you're looking for, whether you're looking for an internship site or your your next career site or starting a private practice. And you want a supervisor who is going to be able to support you and give you the consultation and support supervision you need. Yeah. And to that point, I want to bring something up for people that are listening that might be thinking about making the leap to private practice while they're still pre-licensed, if you can do it in your state, definitely check your state rules. But but for people that are listening to this, you will then have to pay a supervisor. At that point, you're paying for someone to provide you with a service. And so you should be interviewing these people. You should make sure that the supervisor that you choose to pay is doing the things that you want, that knows the things that you want um, to learn more about, that is going to challenge you in the ways you want to be challenged as a supervisee. I think that I've talked to a lot of people who have had bad, straight up bad supervision, but then also some people who have had what I would call just like encouraging supervision. And it's like, 
oh, you're doing so great. This is amazing. That was a perfect choice. And I know for me, as someone who was going into private practice, I wanted someone who was going to challenge me to think differently and not just validate everything that I was doing. And I picked someone who challenged the heck out of me. And, you know, there were some moments where I was like, oh my God, why am I paying this person? And then, you know, that would also always come full circle to, oh my God, thank God I'm paying this person. So I, so I just want to say the importance of if you're paying for a supervisor, you're paying for a service the same way that your client is paying for a clinician. Pick someone who does what you want and knows what they're doing. Yes, it's, it's great advice. And I'm a huge fan of supervision. And I remember even myself when I was originally starting out and working in an agency and you get assigned a supervisor, but I would also pay for an outside supervisor because it was so important for me to get that extra clinical direction. And at the time I had started that scrappy, like, you know, three hours a week private practice on the side. <laughs> so I needed to have a supervisor, but still it's really important to find somebody who can challenge you. And that's how we grow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's the important of good sup- or the importance of good supervision cannot be understated or overstated. Like that person then also becomes a connection for you. The networking is huge. The networking is huge. They know you. They know what you're capable of. They know your strengths. And so they can send you people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's where we really also have to um, bash some of the stereotypes that I think are out there. You know, you kind of hinted at Corey, like sometimes therapists can be a little judgy. We can be a little like, um, in the field, there can be some competition, um, especially around like clients or referring out, you know what, there, there are plenty of clients to go around and we really, really need to collaborate and network with our peers. Yeah. Yeah. The, some of the judginess that I experienced was around the idea of being pre-licensed and having a practice And what was sort of challenged is like, do I have enough experience to do that? And I do think it comes from a place, I I do think it was coming from people and from a place of scarcity mindset around, well, you you know, you're the type of person that should be working for me so that I can, I can train you. And then, yeah, sure. One day you can go off and do that. And where I really push back around some of that narrative that we have to like put our time in somewhere or that pre-licensed professionals sh- aren't experienced enough to be in private practices. You know, in the state of Pennsylvania, a lot of people are working as contractors. So I know that this is also not true in every state. In some states, you have to be an employee. But in the state of Pennsylvania, as a pre-licensed professional, most people are working as contractors. And the way that the IRS defines contractors is that they are independent. They're they're called independent contractors, which means the person that you are working for, quote unquote, does not have any control over work that you're doing or the way that you're doing your work or the hours that you're working. And so essentially you are a business owner. And that's what what the IRS essentially says is that like as an independent contractor, you are a business owner. And so where I push on that is, yeah, so you're a business owner, but without the protection of an LLC. So the independent contractor who is pre-licensed is actually putting themselves in 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 a risky situation by not protecting themselves with their own business, right? And so that's one pushback that I end up having is that yeah, but in our state, we have people that will both on one hand say no. People, uh, pre-licensed professionals should not have their own businesses and they're also paying independent contractors. And so you just can't have it both ways without looking at it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's th- that's, that's so true. And, you know, there are also situations where you might affiliate with an agency, but you're still an independent contractor. Same, same thing, same issue. Right. Um, and why not? If, if you, and I think this goes back to like also really looking at what's happening in grad school. If you choose an internship site and a clinical experience where it's rich and you get a lot of experience as, you know, a new therapist, why not start a private practice? Mm-hmm. You know, can you handle a crisis? Did you experience that during your training? Great. Mm-hmm. Then who better? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, for me, I knew I went, um, so I'm, I'm an LPC, but I went through a marriage and family program. And the only reason I didn't get, uh, my letters to be LMFT is because I couldn't find a supervisor for that. I could find an LPC supervisor. So, so that was the, the it's tricky. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. And so I just said, I actually don't care about the letters. I'm a couples counselor and I know that. And I went through a marriage and family program and I don't need the letters to prove it. Right. So, I went, so I found an internship site where I knew I was going to get access to working with couples. And at that internship site, I did the Gottman one training and I saw couples for a year and a half straight. And then also that the, the year after that, where I stayed with that internship site as a, as a, an employee actually. And so from my perspective, I was like, I, I have, exp- I have two and a half years of seeing couples. Why do I have, why does someone else have to pay me to do that? I have this experience and 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 people loved working with me and i found couples that would come and see me and didn't care if i was pre-licensed so so i think in that way to be a couples counselor i had the experience in that that i needed to effectively be a couples counselor yes um, i've never worked with clients who uh have severe psychotic um diagnoses right but that's not the cup that's not the people that i'm working with and i learned enough that it those people, here's how I refer to them. Here's where I refer them to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm never going to do that kind of work. I just need to know the right people that if those people come to me, where I can send them to get the care that they need for the people who did their internship sites at places that handle that problem. Yes. It comes down to really knowing yourself, Corey, to knowing who you want to work with, who your ideal client is, that niche. And then also that gives you the confidence. You develop so much self-confidence from your work as a student. And then that just, you carried that with you. And I think that's really important. Sometimes that gets missed, Mm -hmm. especially if you land in, you know, your next work situation that doesn't allow you to continue to like build that confidence. Yeah. So I'd love to know also, like, when did you know you were really successful as a therapist? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, I think I would have to say it depends on what kind of success, but, but I guess the broad answer would be some of the first times where I got referrals from current clients. So when I, when I get someone and and they go, yeah, so-and-so sees you and they said that you're amazing. And so here I am. It's like, you guys are sending me your friends. Like you really like me. I'm doing good work with you. Right. So that's, that's definitely what, and and to this day, when that happens, I'm like, okay, cool. We're doing good work. Because especially working with couples, I'm sure that you know this. Sometimes a couple will leave your office and you're like, what am I doing? Or is this even helping? I, this happened to me um, recently where I, I had a couple walk out and I just stared at the wall and I was like, okay, there's a part of me that knows this is part of the process. And there's a part of me that knows that this is part of just where they're at, but there's a part of me that's like, what am I doing? And so when I get people that's, and, 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 and this particular couple that I'm thinking of does speak very highly of me and still, and, and refers people to me of, of their friends and their circles. And so those are the moments where I go, I'm doing it right. I'm yeah. Doing right. And, and there's so much joy in that. It really came through. And I know the listener can't see you, but your smile is huge. And I, I want us all to be able to take that in, right? That's, that's such a great stepping stone when somebody, you know, a current client refers somebody to you, refers their friend or somebody to you. That's great. Yeah. And Corey and I made a promise that we're going to do another couples episode because everything yeah. you just said a hundred percent. And I could share from this week, even couples yeah. experience. So. <laughs> right. And, and we need to hear more of that because um, that's something that's really missing out there is working with couples, sharing that experience, having some deeper collaboration around the experience. So yes. It's so important. We, we are changing worlds and families when we work with couples and it's, it's really super important. So I don't want to get everybody's in a relationship, like everybody's in some type of relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, like everybody has a relationship to somebody else. And so it's a universal experience. Um, 
and people are ter- some people are terrified to do that work and and I don't think they should be. So, as we think about this shift that you're really taking on as a mission to help like new clinicians find a different way to see our profession, like the impact on the counseling profession as a whole is is really going to be felt when we can like step into our confidence zone and step into what our strengths are and put that out there into the world. And, and in a lot of cases, it is private practice. So, I mean, stepping back a little bit, I guess, we do see clinicians leaving the field. You can go to any Facebook group and see posts all the time about burnout or, you know, what else can I do for work? Why are, why are therapists getting so burnt out and leaving the field? I think there's a million reasons for that. One reason that is in alignment with my mission is that we are telling clinicians that they have to essentially get hazed to be Mm. a good therapist. And so we say to them, you have to work in an agency. And then we send them to that agency during their internship, usually. And they're not there. And I know that there are exceptions to this. So I don't want to, I don't want to say that this is everybody's experience, but it is almost all of the people that I've talked to. It is almost all of their experience where during their internship, they get sent to an agency, the people around them are burnt out. And so they're trying their best to show up, but they're not available. They're getting cases that they do not know how to work with. And because the people around them are burnt out, they're getting limited access to being able to consult outside of their internship class. And then they end up taking those. So right then they think this is the field. This is just how it is. So then they take a job like that. And then they stay there for a few years and they're not exposed to other possibilities and potentials. And so they end up seeing 35 clients a week and you just can't do that. And I, I, listen, some people could do that. I I actually would see um, there was some a, a period, especially around the pandemic, where I was like seeing nine clients a day. And because I was so hungry and thirsty and excited about my practice, I was like, this is great. And then I realized like, this is not sustainable. I cannot be so present and available. The amount of emotional energy it takes to be present with someone completely and fully for an, for 50 minutes. Right. And then doing that nine hours in a row, it's like, you're, you're a shell when you get home, I would get home to my husband and like, he got it, but he would, he would be asking me questions. And I I just kind of stare at him like, yeah, he's like, how's your day? I was like, it was good. Right. Like that's the version that he was getting of me. And I think that we're just saying this is normal so much, um, that it is causing people to be burnt out. And I think why people are saying it's normal is because people are having a hard time wrapping their head around. So wait, we just go into private practice and then we're not helping some of these other underserved communities that are in that are going to these agencies. And I kind of want to flip that on its head and say, yeah, but if everybody left and started doing their own thing because the pay was so bad and the work environment was so bad and the client load was so high, wouldn't we then be forcing these agencies and companies to have to do better? So that's kind of my perspective on it. It's like, okay, well, as long as we engage in the narrative that this is what clinicians have to do, that's what they're going to do. And the companies have no reason to change anything. If everybody leaves and and does what is best for them, these companies are going to have to make changes. I mean, that's my that in my perfect world, that's what happens. Well, uh, exactly. And and it's just one way that maybe systems change could actually happen. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And and that starts from from clinicians that have been in the field longer saying, yeah, that's what we did. But just because we did it, we don't want that for you. You you know, yes, we did it. It doesn't need to be a part of the field. You don't get better experience if you're in a in horrible work environments. Like you get work trauma, you know. And so yeah. I well, I do see the value of being exposed to things and and that some of the ways like that's the ideal situation. Is like, oh, you go into this place and you get exposed to this and you and you learn about this. And I don't think that's what's happening. Also, we wouldn't send a brain cert. Like, I also think that in no other field do we say this, right? Where we go, okay, well, we're going to send the brain surgeon, the intern, you're going to go ahead and do the hardest case that we have, right? Like, nope, we don't do that. 
I don't want that. I don't want that brain surgeon, right? I want the person that has the most experience for my most complex problems. Exactly. Um, you don't want to know that they're just in the building. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, and I say that sort of laughing, but when you get an, an intern application, a lot of times the university says, well, there must be a therapist in the building or, you know, present in the office. And yet what, you know, I mean, sure you could consult, but it's, it's not, it's not enough. <laughs> right. Right. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that systems change, I think can happen. And it can also happen with people who want to host interns through mm-hmm. their private practice or their group practice where they give the interns a, a very robust experience yep. so that, you know, it doesn't have to be just a community mental health or an agency experience, but they can get the skills they need, right? There's no, there's no reason they can't, especially if you're dedicated to teaching, to being, you know, a really great training site. And yep. I think we're starting to see that. I'm definitely seeing it in my state and that's exciting, but I think it's, it's needed and then this next piece that you're really taking action on, Corey, is so needed. Talk a little bit about like some of the things you do and you offer to help therapists see how they can thrive from your different programs and just like the way you approach this change in helping therapists start fabulous practices. Mm-hmm. So the first way in which I do this is, is encouraging people to think about this early. That's something that, that I've already talked about. Like one of the most important things that I did was expose myself to conversations like this one years before I was ready. I would go on runs while I was in my graduate program and I would listen to practice of the practice with Joe Sanok. I did that too. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. I I would go on runs and I would like listen to this stuff. And, and it was, it was twofold. I hate running, um, but I was doing it anyway, but like the motivation I would feel for the excitement about my potential future as a private practice owner, like I would, then I would run and be excited about it. Uh, so it would distract me from the awfulness of running. Right. And, but it was making me excited for my future. And so I started, I, I started building in this belief that I could do it. I couldn't do it tomorrow, but I know one day that this is my path. And so part of it is just dreaming about your path, being exposed to people that are talking about these things, being exposed to the lingo. Even if you don't, again, like marketing is a huge concept. You're not going to be able to learn everything about marketing while you are in graduate graduate school. But if you start to get a basis for understanding what it means, you can then build on it as necessary and when you need those things. So for me, what I try to do is I try to expose people to conversations about business concepts, about uh, creating a plan, about how you be an entrepreneur, about phasing from, from, okay, let's have a main job and then let's start a private practice on the side. And what does phasing look like one day? How do you find a good supervisor? How do you find, how do you find a good internship site where you can get the, the experience that you're looking for to continue yourself? How do you write papers while you're in grad school that will serve you, right? So it was a little bit built in, but uh, because I was in a marriage and family program, but most of my papers were about couples. So I wasn't just writing a a random paper about like something, a, 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 a topic that I was never going to actually use clinically. I knew I wanted to work with couples. And so everything I did in grad school was centered around couples, which is you know, I, I, sometimes I talk to, to interns and stuff and they're like, oh yeah, I took a play therapy class and I'm like, oh, okay. So you want to work with kids? And they're like, oh my God, never. And I'm <laughs> like, well, then why didn't you take the class for the thing that you want to do? Right. So, so that's really what I'm trying to encourage. I have a Facebook group from intern to entrepreneur where that's part of the stuff that comes up. The pod, my podcast is going to be around exposing people to conversations like this so that they can start to plant seeds. And then one day they'll be able to water them. So I hope that answered your question. That was a, a it lot. It does. It's so beautiful. And, you know, I think we both share that too. I, I love the story about, you know, listening early on as students to podcasts in the counseling field. I did the very same thing, but I also think that's why both of us are passionate about being podcasters for therapists. Oh yeah. It, I didn't it helped that. us, right? It helped us and we want to give back. And, you know, I, 
hundred percent just think that it's like, it's so important and what a great medium to learn. Yes. I, I, you know, the, another way I would used to listen to podcasts was on my way to grad school. So I went to an in-person program and depending on traffic, it would take me anywhere from 25 to 45 minutes to get to my school. And I would listen to podcasts on the way there because that was, you know, that was like hours out of my week that I was in the car that, and, and it was getting me excited for class then too, you know? So yeah, I did the same thing. Right. You know, and Gosh, you know, I remember it's so funny because I always say this, but one of my favorite podcasts, it's not, it's not around anymore, but it was called the Australian Counseling Podcast. And it was amazing. And that's one of the reasons I started this because I loved that and I learned so much, you know? And so I think it's just really important to, to know what you can do to add this intentionality into your life, to keep dreaming, to keep your focus, to keep that like goal you're very big on goals, Corey, to keep those goals focused and central. Yes. Yeah. I love goals and I love goal setting. And even though the reality is like, I'm not always the best person on doing the daily things or ticking the things off. Right. But like, because I have these goals that I know that I'm working toward, I tend to make decisions based off of getting there. And, you know, if I, if I didn't have a goal of having a private practice while I was one year into grad school, I don't know that I would have the private practice that I have right now. Uh, I don't know that, you know, I've wanted a podcast for years. If that wasn't a goal of mine, I don't know that I would be launching this podcast right now. So, so I'm, I'm very big on planting these seeds, creating these goals that might not be able to happen in this moment, but it's, it's in my sphere. And I, and I, I love facilitating conversations for people about that, like plant some seeds now, see what grows. Not all of my ideas have come to fruition, uh, but most of them that I've been intentional about have. Yes. Yes. Some of our ideas, we just have to like push them down a little bit and then they'll, they'll come up a little bit later. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> They're still like glimmering down there. <laughs> yep, I love that. A hundred percent. There's still little seedlings that are waiting for their chance to bloom. Yes. Yes. So I mean... I don't know if there was anything like missing for you. So when you were just starting out as a therapist, like, and if you could go back, is there anything that you would tell yourself or did you like really have, have your direction kind of set? I don't know that I would go back to say anything different or tell myself because part of my story has turned into my mission. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think at one point I might've said, I would go back and tell myself that you can start a private practice uh, the second you get out of grad school. And I don't think that anymore because the fact that I didn't know that did put a pause, right? So for some people, depending on your past experience around business or, or it's, you know, we actually had an intern who just graduated who had actually been in the field for 15 years. 15 years and is just getting them her master's now. And so like, does she really need to wait a couple years before she can have her own private practice? Like why she's been in the field longer than I have. So, so for some people, it will be more appropriate that, yeah, the second you graduate, it, you might feel ready to do that. I think looking back that year that I didn't have the private practice, but was still pre-licensed was really important to me. So I don't advocate just, I'm not advocating for everybody start your private practice. The second that you graduate, Um, but, but I'm advocating to kind of create a plan. And I think that the way that things happened for me where I didn't know that has created this story for me. It's highlighted that, wow, we don't talk about money and what people should get paid or, or the average or even ways in which you could get paid. Like I didn't know anything about contractors versus employees versus, versus, um, fee splits or flat rates. I, I didn't know that people didn't get salaries, that most of it is dependent on fee for service. People listening to this might not even know what I'm talking about if you're still pre-licensed, right? Yes. So I think that because of all those things, it's like, I know that these are things that need to be talked about. Uh, so if I, if it had been different or if it had been easier, I wouldn't know those things. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And, and the alignment might not have happened the yeah. way it needed to. And, and this is really just made your mission so much more tangible and empowered you right. to help others. Yeah. Um, yeah. And talking to you right now has made this clearer too, by the way. So I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about this in this way. And, 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 and you asking these questions, it's really making me hone in on why am I doing what I'm doing and, and how did I even get here? 
Mm -hmm. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, you know, it's, it's fascinating when we just take a little bit of time to explore our own history and our own paths. And we need to keep that passion and understand our why. I know that's kind of like trite, but really our why revisit that. It's so important all the time. And so in your current situation, then you're helping new clinicians and you're talking to interns about these things, business systems, finance, like opportunities that are there, helping them figure out, well, they're mostly working with couples, I guess, since that's your, your, your practice, but really helping them figure out like who they want to serve, what they want to do and how they can do it, like practical systems. Mm -hmm. So I have a bit of a boundary between the work that I'm doing with from intern to entrepreneur and the work that I'm doing with interns okay. in that I I don't want to create a dual role for myself in being their mentor in both of those ways. And so they know that I do some of this. They obviously know that I started a practice, but when I have the interns, I'm more focused on, I am getting them these skills, right? We talk about niching. We talk about the people that they want to serve. We talk about the people that they work best with, but I'm really focused on my supervising role with the interns in helping them hone their clinical skills when I take on supervisees for licensure, that's when it starts to blend a bit more and they have a little bit more access to me in in, in a ways in which I've grown a business, built a business, how they can create their own business if that's what they end up wanting to do. Uh, but I have found that for for me to give the experience because when they're fi- when the interns are finding me they're not finding me because of this from intern to entrepreneur they're finding me because they saw my practice right and so i try to stay more in a clinical role while also blending some of these other professional skills um if that makes sense and then the people that find me from intern to entrepreneur are people that have found me because they're searching for that uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I don't push that on my interns. They might not want a private practice. And actually one of my best interns, you know, I think at the beginning I was, and he was just like, I don't think I want that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so, so separating that a bit. Yes. Yes. It's that's so important. Two things. One for the listener, if you are a clinician looking, f- you know, for a supervisor towards supervision, ask those things that Corey was just talking about, right? Like you want the clinical piece. Will they also be willing to talk to you about some of the other, you know, the entrepreneurial pieces and, you know, or are they only straight clinician or whatever? So you want to have a really good match that way. And again, interview them. That's so important. But also going back to our hearts, right? It's a lifestyle Maybe private practice is, is going to be right for you 10 years down the road. Right. And right now being part of a group practice could be perfect because that will, you know, protect your heart and give you time with your family and take away administrative duties and, and all of that. And so again, it's, it's that shift in our systems for the field, right? That we don't have to burn out. We can find a way to do this work that's going to allow us to thrive in different capacities. Yeah, not everybody needs to go into private practice to be able to fulfill some of their, to fulfill their heart. Mm -hmm. And so I would also say that right now, people who are looking for a job in the therapy space have a huge advantage and they need to know that because you go on some of these therapy Facebook things and people are like, I'm looking for, I can't find any employees. I can't find any new therapists. And that's because a lot of client, a lot of therapists that are really driven in that way are going into their own private practice. So someone looking for a job can ask questions about money, can make demands, can, right? Because if you don't hire, if they don't, if if they don't like what they're hearing, they're going to go find someone else. And so I want to encourage people that like, if you get, if you interview somewhere, do not take the first offer if it does not feel in alignment. And I just think that people looking for jobs really need to know that because they can leverage that. Absolutely. It it's so true. It's your market. There are plenty of clients out there. There are actually plenty of jobs out there for therapists too. Yes, that's beautiful, beautiful advice. So, oh my goodness. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with you, Corey, on any level through your coaching programs, your workshops? I want to 
Thank you so much for, for being here and really acknowledge your passion and how you are making a huge difference in this field that we love and we want to stay loving our jobs and our work as therapists. We want to stay loving it. And you're really making it possible for therapists to see a way that they can thrive and continue to serve and to do what they do. Yeah. And I'm I'm so grateful to to you and also to get to know you and have you here and share with our listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to staying connected with you and talking about like the million other things in which we are alignment on. Yes. Yes. We're going to have a rocking couple show next, yes. but for now tell everyone like the different places they can find you and your upcoming podcast launch and all of those those things so people can can connect with you right away. Yeah, so the podcast is officially launching at the end of August. I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but there'll be information on that. And the other really exciting thing that I'm doing is I am launching a membership community for people in grad school in January. And it, the first year around, it's going to be sort of like a beta launch where it's going to be it's going to be the best year to be in it because I'm going to be creating the content for the people that are currently in the group and what they say and what they need. And so it's going to be created as we go based on the needs of the people in the group. And so that is going to launch in January. I can give you information for people to get on the wait list for that. Again, it's very appropriate for people who are still in grad school. You can join if you're not. It's still going to go over a lot of the basics. So if you feel like you really don't understand anything about private practice and you need an intro to it before you decide if it's right for you, that could still be appropriate for you. But a lot of it will be geared toward the grad school experience. So that would be one way that if people are listening, that they could connect with me. Um, and then I have a Facebook group from intern to, to entrepreneur where people who are like-minded and want to be entrepreneurs come together. And we talk about the experience of grad school and trying to learn how to be entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. That's great. I love it. And I'm so excited about your membership. I didn't know about that, but that's dreamy. And I think that's just the best thing. And I hope every grad student in the therapy world joins. Thank yeah. Thank you. Everybody. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so your website is from in from intern to entrepreneur.com. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. And we will link everything in the show notes. So um, be sure to check out Corey and uh, thank you so much again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.